Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepker. Now, counting is underway after a day of elections in the largest test of political opinion outside of a general election in nearly 50 years. Polls closed at 10pm last night after millions voted to decide on the makeup of the next Scottish and Welsh Parliament and 143 different councils. Well, what's clear is the Conservatives have won a crushing victory in the Hartlepool by-election. It's a major upset for Labour, which has held the seat since its creation in 1974. At the same time, the party stands to lose more than 40 council seats across the country. Earlier, we spoke to the Conservative MP Tobias Elwood and also to the former Shadow Chancellor, John Macdonnell, about what went wrong for Labour. The last time we had this election, Brexit was very much the issue of the day. The Brexit party did particularly well, got about 10,000 votes. That didn't play this time. A lot of those votes did go to the Conservatives, but actually Mm. Labour lost ground. So their message is simply not getting through. And it's not just in Hartlepool, but it's in some of the council elections as well. I think Tobias has got it right to a certain extent. First of all, the Brexit issue... Although we've resolved it, actually, it remains a dominant issue within certain constituencies. And certainly Hartlepool, 70% voted for Brexit. So it's still a strong issue. And obviously that alienated people from the Labour Party. And I think that carryover is there, undoubtedly. COVID, the performance of vaccination, has clearly helped the Conservatives. But there is an issue. And Tobias is right in the sense that Labour's message was virtually non-existent. There was a vacuum in terms of uh, any policy programme and campaigning around a policy programme. Okay, so that was the Shadow Chancellor, former Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell speaking and the Conservative MP Tobias Elwood. Well, in the meantime, voters will be waiting until Saturday for the results of the Scottish parliamentary election. The vote there of particular interest as an outright majority for the SNP would make another independence referendum more likely. Well, joining us now is the Scottish National Party MP for Glasgow Central, Alison Thulis. Alison, thanks for being with us today and uh, welcome to the programme. What what are you, I mean, we don't know the results, so that's clear. I don't think they've even been particularly strong exit polls. So what are you expecting from this election? Will you get a majority at Holyrood? Well, we we can't tell yet because obviously the the votes are only just beginning to be counted. Um, But what does seem fairly clear is the SNP is very much the party in the lead in this election, um, far and away ahead of the the Conservatives and Labour in Scotland. Okay, so you're far ahead, uh, you're optimistic. If there is a majority then, what is the timetable for moving uh, forwards with trying to get another referendum on independence? 
So as Nicola Sturgeon has consistently set out, um, she aims to hold a referendum in the first half of this parliament for the next sort of two and a half years in Scotland. And of course, the, the recovery from COVID um, is the first item on the agenda for um, for parliament. Well, it's the first item on the agenda, but somewhere on the agenda is going to be the independence referendum, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is. And and for us, we see um, Scottish independence as a, a means of taking control over that recovery as well, moving forward with the priorities of Scotland rather than a Westminster government, which is uh, increasingly out of touch with the people of Scotland. OK. Um, what happens, though, if Boris Johnson says no? Uh, what then? Well, what happens is that Boris Johnson's position is completely untenable in that because um, Scotland would have voted um, for a, ma- a majority of independence-supporting MSPs within the Scottish Parliament. And it really uh, ill behooves any government to um, to refuse that democratic principle. If Scotland has voted for something and voted for something quite clearly, uh, the UK government really can't continue to stand uh, in the way of that. OK, so, so walk us through how this all works out then. If you get a majority... There is at some point, I take on board, you're saying that the COVID is the most important thing. But at some point, six months, three months, a year, what point do you then begin the process of trying to push for this second referendum? What is the timescale? Well, the timescale will be set out by the the First Minister um, as we come into the the new parliamentary session. Um, As I said, she's looking to hold that referendum uh, within the first uh, half of the the next term, the next two and a half years. Um, And we will set out how that that will work um, within Parliament as well, because it's really important that people have a very clear uh, understanding of what they would be voting for in that referendum yeah. too. Um, because I think part of the problem that the UK government has got itself into over Brexit is nobody knew what they were voting for and why that would work. Yeah, and we but, certainly but, wouldn't want to repeat those mistakes that the UK government have made. Yeah, but forgive me, Alison, there will be people who want to know. I mean, Are you saying that you as an SNP MP do not know what the timetable is going to be because you're not you're not really telling us and I mean people who voted for you will want to know because the whole raison d'etre of the SNP is independence it is and as I said there's um we will set that out um to the Scottish Parliament that are um obviously um, important things that we want to get done in the first uh, 100 days of um, a new Scottish government and we have a plan for that and to tackle the major challenges we're facing as a country and to tackle the issues around uh, the challenges for the NHS and COVID and to support the economy as well. So we have a lot of uh, things that we want to get done in those first 100 days and uh, setting out the plans for an independence referendum are only a part of the, the, the important work of government. Okay, um, but but what is to stop um, that plan um, and the idea of of pushing for the referendum happening pretty soon? I mean, Nicola Sturgeon has talked about trying to get over the pandemic, but actually more than half the population in the UK has now been vaccinated. We're talking about um, allowing summer holidays and people to travel internationally, and we're going to lift the restrictions in June. I mean, uh, why not? July, August for asking for that referendum. I mean, that would be effectively the end of the pandemic, wouldn't it? Well, I think you'll appreciate that Nicola Sturgeon has taken a much more cautious approach um, to the COVID pandemic than the UK government. Um, And we've seen, you know, issues with new variants coming in and the challenges that that may pose for the vaccination programme, which has gone well, but we need to be careful about opening up the economy because we could, we, you know, we thought last summer in Scotland um, that we just about had COVID licked and then when international travel started again, uh, that um, put things back into um, back into a coronavirus lockdown restrictions um, because yeah. the UK government had decided that we were going to open up international travel. So I would say that we need to be careful about this. And of course, there's a long-term 
uh, impact on particular sectors of the economy as well. So if you look at hospitality and tourism and the arts, um, it'll take them a while to get back up and running as well. So we need to make sure that we take everybody with us on this and make sure that we do as much as we can do to support those various sectors. All right, Alison, let me move you back onto the referendum question. I think it is absolutely cool. I appreciate that uh, what's going on with the virus matters a lot. But if Boris Johnson says no to a request for a referendum, do you go to the courts? Do you go down the Catalonia model and just have an indicative referendum anyway? What is the party scheme for dealing with that? But Nicola Sturgeon has consistently said uh, that we don't have want to uh, end up in a situation um, as Catalonia has done. We want to have um, a legal recognised referendum. And again, I would say this is uh, for Boris Johnson to to now deal with. We have been very clear about what our position is on uh, on independence, as have other independent supporting parties like the Greens. Um, and the people of Scotland are having their say in this election that we are now uh, counting uh, just now. Okay. Uh, and Boris Johnson cannot continue to deny um, democracy and the say of the Scottish people. And the Tories throughout the election campaign could not explain what the democratic um, means of, of Scotland decided upon its own future would be. And I think they really have to reconsider that situation uh, in light of whatever this result is. But what happens if they don't reconsider? And surely you've said that you don't want to make the same mistakes as the UK government made, as you see it when it comes to Brexit. But in some senses, you're also not being clear about what the path is and what the implications would be for Scottish voters if you don't explain what you would do if Westminster says no to a legal referendum request. Um, well, it has been uh, suggested that this um, that we could look through uh, go through the courts on this. I would prefer not to get to that situation. I prefer the UK government to recognise the democratic mandate of the Scottish people, and it's a real crisis for the union. I would suggest if they don't recognise that um, that mandate for the Scottish people, because it's not up to me, it's not up to Nicola Sturgeon, it's not up to any leader. Um, what that looks like is up to the Scottish people, and they must have their say. Well, let me put to you another scenario. I, I've heard it said that the SNP wouldn't really want to have a referendum before 2023. And can I suggest that might be because the current polls actually suggest you wouldn't necessarily even win one? Well, the current polls uh, exist in a scenario where we aren't actually in an active independence referendum campaign. We've been in election campaigns, we've been in COVID. Um, if you look at where we started prior to the 2014 referendum back in uh, in 2012 or so, the polls were nowhere near the 45% we ended up with. And I think once people uh, get into that campaign, once we set out the arguments for independence, uh, and when we reflect upon everything that has changed uh, over the past uh, now seven years, I think people will start to um, look at that and say, well, actually, independence is uh, is going to be the choice for, for Scotland. Um, so, in your view, when do you think that Scotland would be independent? I wouldn't like to put a date on that. Um, that's, that's way out of my pay grade, I would say. Um, <laughs> but I think um, when you look at the polling, most people do now expect that Scotland will be an independent country. Uh, and people uh, vary in their views and when they would expect that to see, uh, when they would expect to see that. Um, but I hope it won't be too much longer, certainly. And the constituents I was speaking to on, on the doors of Glasgow yesterday, um, some of them are absolutely champing at the bit for, for Scotland to be an independent country so we can go ahead and make our way in the world and build that fairer uh, Scotland yeah. that we all want to see. They're champing at the bit, but you won't tell them when. <laughs> yeah, but we will, as I said, um, this will be set out uh, by the First Minister uh, with a very clear timetable because I think it is important that we do that so that everybody knows exactly where we're going and that will be set out in the next Parliament. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, the usual flurry of results from Scotland's 78 constituencies is being replaced by a more lengthy process to count the votes due to COVID restrictions. So the nation has to hold its breath a little longer to know the outcome and whether or not Nicola Sturgeon's SNP has a majority at Holyrood. Sturgeon has said that getting Scotland through the health crisis is her priority and has pledged to try for a referendum on independence by the end of 2023. Well, joining us now is Stephen Kerr, who is the Scottish Conservative Party politician and former MP for Stirling. Stephen, welcome to the programme. Thank you for joining us. Conservatives may have done very well elsewhere in the UK, in Hartlepool and in local councils, but... Their message and your message does not seem to be cutting through at all in Scotland. Why not? Well, I'm not sure that's entirely correct. I mean, I think, um, you know, this has been a a hard-fought Scottish parliamentary election. It's been a very unusual election, Caroline, because we've been unable really to engage with voters on their doorsteps. So there's been no public meeting. So it's been quite a difficult election. But no, I think our message, our fundamental message is getting across to the voters in Scotland. And, and we're, we're pretty optimistic about what the next few hours and tomorrow will bring. And our fundamental message at this election has been that this is a time for us to pull together as Scots, work together to build our recovery and to take our endless debate around constitutional matters, taking that Set that aside, because at the minute what we should be focused on are important issues like jobs, like uh, our schools, our hospitals, uh, uh, the state of justice in Scotland, those things that really matter to people in their everyday lives. It might surprise you to know, Stephen, that our previous guest, Alison Tulis of the SNP, was also trying yeah. to divert the debate onto COVID, didn't want to talk independence much either. Uh, perhaps you have that in yeah, common. That's the, but... thing, that's the amazing thing, Roger, about the SNP campaign. They don't try and mention independence because they know there is no uh, majority or mandate in Scotland uh, for independence. And, well, and therefore, they want to talk about everything else. And then after the election's over, they then announce, oh, yeah, this is a mandate for independence. So, well, I mean, there's a you know, slight of uh, hand there. Yeah, well, maybe. But I mean, let me accuse you a little bit of that, too, because frankly, you know, there may not be a total majority. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Depends on the polling and which polls you believe. But the fact is, Stephen, it is on the agenda in a lot of people's minds. It clearly is. What about the prospects for a second referendum if there is a majority for the SNP, if they put forward the plan for an independence referendum and... Downing Street says no, that surely is unsustainable if there's a majority support in Scotland. Well, so I'm going to challenge what you've just said, <laughs> Roger, because actually when the people of Scotland are asked in survey after survey to rank what their priorities are for the government of Scotland, independence, the Constitution, rarely figures in the top five, rarely figures in the top ten. So what people are really concerned about are jobs. They're concerned about the state of the NHS. They're concerned about the standard of education that we're delivering to our children and, and um, across the board in Scotland. Those are the things 
that really, people really care well, about. They don't want... We had a... See, you talked about facts, Roger. Here's a fact. In 2014, we had a once-in-a-generation referendum on the question of Scotland's place in the United Kingdom. And the vast majority of Scots voted to remain part of the United Kingdom. But that the problem is also that changed. This, the issue, though, is only in some ways going to get worse for your camp in some senses because the younger the voter the polling shows, the more they are in favour of an independent Scotland. So actually, uh, the more time passes, the more this rises up the agenda about a, an independent Scotland. Yeah, and, and OK, so I mean, even if I accept the premise, which I don't entirely accept that the majority of younger voters are all nationalists. I don't necessarily buy that. I think the reality is that, um, you know, there's a romanticism connected to the, the nationalist idea that all of Scotland's issues, all of our challenges will be resolved with independence, with separation from the United Kingdom. Of course, the more that one goes on in life, one realises how complex many of these issues are. And if anything, the last 12 months has shown the strength of the United Kingdom has been a ballast for us in Scotland in terms of the furlough scheme, the support that's been delivered to businesses, and of course this fantastic rollout vaccination rollout programme, which we're all the beneficiaries of. So, don't entirely accept the premise of the question, frankly. Oh, oh, all right, but, but let me put another part to that. We interviewed your colleague in in Bournemouth, in fact, Tobias Elwood MP earlier. Yes today and he was actually first of all he was quite uh, praising of the way that Nicola Sturgeon has handled uh, the Covid crisis but also he was saying very very strongly it's time for the Conservatives to address the union question not not to say it's romanticised or anything else but actually to address it head on and make the case and and you haven't really have you? Yeah we, we, we well I think the last 12 months have made the case for uh, the United Kingdom and the benefits that flow from being part of the United Kingdom um, when uh, we talk about Nicola Sturgeon's performance during the uh, the last 12 months in relation to handling the pandemic, yes, she's appeared on television for an hour every day, has given statements, has answered questions. She's certainly been all over the place and her messaging has largely been consistent. I don't deny that. But if you look at the actual uh, effects of the pandemic in Scotland. If you look at the decisions that the Scottish government made early on in the process uh, of handling the pandemic, many of the outcomes have been worse. And when you think about the vast amount of money, the thirteen billion pounds that has flown from the Treasury to the Scottish government to support businesses, not all of that money has arrived. And as a result, I would argue that in many respects, Nicola Sturgeon's government's handling of the impact of the pandemic has been much poorer than in other parts of the United Kingdom. And in terms of infection rates in and of themselves, Scotland, as of recently, was actually worse than other parts of the United Kingdom. So I don't think that, again, stands up to scrutiny. And that scrutiny and accountability that we need more of in the Scottish Parliament, which is why we need a strong bloc of Scottish Conservative MSPs. I know, but if Scottish voters turn out for the SNP, surely their verdict then of actually how Nicola Sturgeon handled the pandemic is a good one. And the UK as a whole, the Conservatives in particular, are in danger of making the same mistake that was, if you consider it that, that was made with Brexit, that the argument, you know, was ignored or not addressed head on. I mean, there is a strong case for making a much firmer, broader national argument about keeping the UK united. 
there, there is. And, you know, when I was a member of Parliament, I don't disagree with what you've just said. When I was a member of Parliament, um, I regularly made uh, comments and speeches. But Boris Johnson's so not making about, that about, pitch. But, but, but the rea- well, I think, actually, if you look at some of the things that the government have done recently, the UK government have done recently in terms of addressing the issue of the cohesion of the United Kingdom, there's lots to be encouraged in what they've been doing. I mean, I would, for example, cite the... Um, the UK uh, uh, Single Market Act as a very progressive aspect of that. So uh, that act finally allows the UK government to play a more prominent part in Scotland. I mean, the problem is that for 22 years since the devolution settlement of 1999, there has been a a slow retreat of the UK government um, in the UK. They've left the field. And what, what the UK Single Market Act allows the UK government to do in terms of replacing the structural funds and the other regional funds of the EU with, for example, the UK Shared Prosperity Fund, the Leveling Up Fund and the Communities Fund, is actually to play an active part in the lives of Scots. I think there's been a devolve-and-forget mentality in Whitehall, which is now being addressed by Boris Johnson and his government, and I welcome that very strongly. All right, Steve. Let me. Let me. We, we really haven't addressed, I suppose, what is the elephant in the room, which we need to. And in the same way of taking this issue head on, if and it is an if, the Scottish mm. nationalists get a majority, therefore the implication is in favour of uh, a referendum. And if they move to a referendum, would it be right? Would it be justified in political terms to say no? You can't have one. I mean, at the basic level, is that just? Well, in, in, in the scenario you're describing, then I will, I'm not going to give you a glib answer. I'm going to tell you, frankly, that we'd have to reflect very carefully as a party about what the implications of such a vote were. You're describing what you're suggesting is if there's an SNP majority, what would we do? We'd have to reflect, reflect very carefully on this matter. But let's be absolutely clear. The legal and legitimate path to a referendum involves what is called a Section 30 order under the, the uh, under the, uh, the the legislation that brought about the devolved parliament, um, that is a reserved matter, uh, and that would be a matter for the for the UK government to decide upon. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I I, I think our message, frankly, people has gone, and, and I'm not going to get involved in. It, I shouldn't really get drawn into these kind of um, uh, you know, scenarios that you're pitching because we don't know what the result has been. But because mm. our our message to the people of Scotland in this campaign has been this is the wrong time for us to be talking about all these things when the Scottish uh, Fiscal Commission, for example, has projected that we could have a, you know 200,000 people unemployed in Scotland within a few months, um, that it's going to take Scotland until 2024 just to get back to the levels of economic uh, activity we had prior to the pandemic. And and by the way, for years before then, we were trailing the rest of the United Kingdom in terms of growth, in terms of productivity. I think what our message is, this is not the time. This is, this is a time for us as Scots to come together, to unite, to work together in order to rebuild Scotland, to bring about the recovery that we all need to see happen. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.